when I was um, 25, I grew up in uh, Southern California and and was there, you know, pretty much my whole life. Uh, and then when I turned 25, at that time, my wife and I, we had two... Feels like it's going to fall off. Two... Um, Little boys at that time, our two youngest sons, um, we felt the Lord move upon our hearts to plant a church. And so, uh, you know, Southern California at that time seemed to be saturated with churches, Calvary chapels, and um, we just felt like God might call us somewhere else. And so we just started praying, where, where would God have us to go? And for all practical purposes, um, you know, we felt like we, we didn't want to go somewhere where it snowed. Uh, I just didn't feel like that was where God was leading. Um, my wife is solar powered, and I felt like we can't we can't go somewhere. I don't want to go where it snows. I don't mind visiting snow. Uh, I just don't want to live in it or shovel it or anything like that. So we thought, well, we need to be near a body of water. Uh, I love to surf. That's uh, one of my things that I enjoy doing. Um, and so. And, and we want to be where the sun. So we thought we should go to Florida. And so we started praying. And um, we ended up moving to Brandon, Florida. And I pastored a church there, planted and pastored a church there for a decade. Uh, the church is still in existence, Calvary Chapel, Brandon. And um, my assistant is there, Mark. If some of you have met Mark, he's a great man, great Bible teacher, um, one of my dearest friends, he pastors the church and has been pastoring the church. So that's, that's my connection to Florida. So I lived here for, for a decade. We ended up having two more children here. My youngest son and uh, daughter were born here in Florida, in Brandon, Florida, which was exciting. And um, so we've always had a, a love for this place. I remember meeting uh, Raz years ago. I was just a young guy, and, and uh, Raz was... There we'd have these meetings at Merritt Island. I used to go to those conferences every year and was a part of that. And um, and then the Lord called us back to Southern California, which was so surprising to me because I felt like when we moved here, I was gonna. This is where I'm gonna die. You know, I'm this. I'm here till I, I felt like my commitment is I'm, I'm. I'm not going anywhere. And so we were raising our family. We we're getting roots. My um, parents ended up moving out here. And they were like down the street, like they lived in the same neighborhood, like a block away. And my brother and sister were here. I'm like, this is built-in babysitters. This is like what you dream of, you know. And, and uh, we 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 planted the church. We were able to, you know, purchase a home, which was amazing uh, for us. You know, we we thought that may never happen. And I think our first house uh, was like hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. And then we sold it some years later and uh, were able to buy another house for $160,000. This is Florida back then, right? It's crazy. You talk, the, these numbers aren't even real in California. It's not even real numbers. That's like you could get like a studio, 900 square feet maybe, with a bathroom. But it was $160,000. It's like five bedrooms. It had a pool. And I always thought, dude, we are, we are here. This is exciting. God is good. This is, we're staying and then the Lord just said, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm calling you. In 2006, the Lord started moving upon my heart in an unexpected way. I'm calling you back. I'm like, oh, there's no way. I can't, I, why would I go back there uh, to California? I'm, I'm here. And then the Lord just continued and continued. And, and 
I'll tell you guys, um, and this has nothing to do with what I'm gonna talk to you about today, but I just felt like just to put the connection with Florida, I started praying and and probably one of the b- most difficult decisions I had made as far as ministry. One was to leave California and to come here. By the way, we came with nothing, nothing. There was no internet or it just started. Remember, it was like ding, ding, ding. Remember that the, we first got the internet? Like cell phones were just coming out. It was like, oh, cool, you know. Oh, I can't afford to call. I'm going to flip it down. You know, these things were just happening. Like we promoted our church. We promoted our church. This is how old we are. We promoted it with the yellow pages. Like that's a big book that was yellow, and it had businesses listed in it. And we were so cheap, we couldn't afford like, you know, some churches had like an ad. Like we had a line, like a line, and they spelled Calvary wrong. So it's like no one's ever going to come to this church. It was like Calvary. Like it's Calvary, not cavalry. Anyway, it, just, it was just a joke uh, in so many ways. We started this Bible study in, in a house. with We knew one couple. Basically, I told the Lord, Lord, listen, I'll, I'll go to Florida. This, I'm, I'm just going to tell you the story because maybe it will encourage you. Maybe God's called you to take steps of faith that you think that's crazy. I'd never do that. I've been there. I've done that. I'm doing that. And so we... we we started praying. Again, I'm 25. I don't know where to go. And so we think about going to Florida. I fly out here with this family that we knew. We barely knew them from our church in, in Vista, California. And they're looking for a place. They're moving out. We're moving to this place called Brandon. Like, where is that? Who knew? I was like, is it near water? Kind of, you know. Uh, not any waves. So that was sad. So, um, so we went and um, we ended up, you know, taking this radical step of faith. But I told the Lord, listen, if I go to Florida... There's several things that, well, three things specifically I need. I need a place to live. Obviously, I have a family. I have a wife and two sons. I I need a job, obviously, to provide for them. And I also need some people that know what Calvary Chapel is. I don't want to just, this was was like denominational country. Like, so I need some people that know about Calvary. That would be helpful. So I sent that to the Lord. And, uh, and then, so I didn't have, I, I did, I didn't have a job yet. You got to get there and get a job. Our church said, hey, we'll support you for three months, then you're on your own. That's, that's old school church planning. If God's in it, great. If he's not, well, it's been nice knowing you, John. Like, don't come back. Like, ah, we already replaced you. That's how we did it back in the day. These kids nowadays, they go out with teams and ah, I don't even know. It's just, anyway, I'm glad we did it that way. No internet. So we ended up, uh, there was, I didn't have a job. And I didn't have a group of people that knew about Calvary. There was a couple in their living room. And uh, I said, well, I guess we got to start somewhere. But I did have a place to live. I thought, yes, solid. At least I know we got a roof over our heads. I can, we can, you know, let's do this. We're getting ready to move. We're getting ready to leave for Florida. And I get a call from the guy that we're going to lease the house from. And this is no joke. The truck was in the driveway to pack up. The pastors from our church were coming to help me load the truck. And he says, Mr. Randall, I looked over your financials and I realized I, I can't lease you my house. I was like, sir, like the truck is in the driveway. Like we're packing it. Like I'm leaving like tomorrow to come there. I'm sorry. I can't, you know, I, and end of story. No place to live. The three things I said I needed, not one of them lined up. There's no turning back. I mean, what are you going to do now? We had the truck for 11 days. And so I said, we're just going to drive, and we're not going to stop until we get there. So me and a friend of mine, we drove straight through. I mean, three days from California to Florida, nonstop. I mean, he slept, I drove. I slept, I drove. You know, you know, you side of the road, you're like, 
you're showering on the side of the road, eating at truck stops, like nasty. You're just making your way there. And we pull into Florida at like three in the morning. It's a Saturday morning. It's like, it's three in the morning. It's, it's the down, torrential downpour. And we're like driving, you know, I've got my little station wagon. Everything I own is in this Penske yellow truck with a station wagon behind it. And we're just, you know, trying to find, we pull up to the one person's house that we know. We parked in front of their house, went to sleep on their couch, woke up at noon drove to the neighborhood where we were going to lease a house and just started driving around. I mean, what were we thinking? Uh, and we started driving around. I saw a for rent sign in a yard and I called on it. I said, Hey, uh, I saw this, I'm showing around you, whatever. And uh, we're moving out here, blah, blah, blah. She said, well, I'll come out and meet you right now. She came out and met me. I was signing papers that day to move into the house. The next day was Sunday. I taught my first Bible study to three people in their living room. And then we went and uh, moved all our stuff into the house. My wife came out a week later. And the first people that got saved in Brandon in our church was my next-door neighbors, who are still part of the church today, by the way, which is exciting. I'm just saying just steps of faith like that, crazy things. And, uh, and yet God met us there. And then God, after 10 years of after having a building and having uh, just building the church, the Lord called us back. And, and that was crazy, too, because it was like starting all over again. It was starting over again, and now I have four children and no job, <laughs> and it's Orange County. Like, that's insane. Like, what are you, nuts? Pretty much. And I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm 35 years old, and, uh, and yet the Lord just confirmed, I want you to go back. And so long story short, I ended up going back. I was going back to start a church in the city that I live in currently. It's called San Clemente with, a, with another family and, um, that I knew. And yet, in the process of going back, there was a little church in the city over called in San Juan Capistrano. Maybe you're familiar with the Swallows that return to San Juan Capistrano. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, they're not returning anymore, but they, uh, they did at one time. <laughs> they did some construction, and they stopped coming back. But, um, but I ended up, there was a little church there. A pastor was leaving, and they, they said, hey, they need a pastor. It's a Calvary Chapel. And so I went, and I ended up pastoring that church. And it was start, I think it was like 100 people in that church. And I grew it to 75 quickly uh, <laughs> when I showed up, which was super encouraging. Uh, that went well, and uh, everybody really loved me. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and then we started over, and... Uh, Man, it was, it was crazy. We, we didn't have, we barely had any money. And I remember the Lord confirming that I was supposed to go there. And we had just finished our, you know, you know, if your wife loves the kitchen, you know, you, we just finished the kitchen in our house in Florida, just put new cabinets in. It was like, oh my goodness, the kitchen my wife always wanted after, you know, all these years, it's here, we're leaving it. We're moving somewhere else and there is no kitchen like this. And, and so I remember having to fly back. I had, I had one weekend, I was teaching, uh, a conference, and then I was going to teach a service at San Juan, and then I needed to find a place to live in one weekend. I'm like, this is like a, I feel like this is deja vu all over again. So I, I taught at the church, I taught at this conference, taught at the church on a Sunday, and then I, my friends that we were going to start the church with said, hey, could you, there's, we saw a sign in the yard. I'm, I'm not kidding you. There's a sign in the yard. It says for rent, and it was a handwritten sign. In San Clemente, I said, well, let's call on it. I drove from the church, having taught, drove to the place, called the guy on the sign, met with the guy, and started getting the paperwork started. I got on the plane, flew home to Florida. And now this house was like 1,700, maybe 1,500 to 1,700 square feet. 
and um, and it was tiny, and the kitchen was. There was a cabinet. I mean, it was just my wife was not going to have. And she said, she said, well, what's the kitchen like? She asked me. I said, well, there's a great view. Uh, there's a, a great view. And it was like, man, it was one of the toughest seasons. And, and what's crazy is when, when the Lord called us back, you know, um, uh, the year before I had just taught at the senior pastors conference that we have with Calvary Chapel. We used to have it at Marietta years ago. And Raz has been there. We've gone there together. And. And it was just a great conference where all the senior pastors from all over the country would come and gather. And I just taught there uh, the year before. Now I'm coming back to that conference. I have no church. And everybody assumes the worst. Like, what happened? Like, what did you do? Like, what sin did you commit that would cause you to leave your church that was healthy? And what did you, you know, and you're trying to explain everybody. It was probably one of the, I would say one of the most depressing and dark times in ministry that I, I think I can remember. And I had no clue what God was doing. I, I had no idea and understanding of what the Lord was, was doing in my life. And I, I just remember going to that conference and, and everybody, everybody's asking me. And again, I've been going to that conference for years. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? And that was before you could just tell everybody all at once. Can I just tell you I didn't sin? Okay? I mean, we, the Lord called us back. Where did he call you? He's, he's calling us to San Clemente. Oh, right. Okay. I see how we're, okay. Right. It's like one of the best surf spots in the country. So I, you know, that's, we know. Okay, John. Right. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing, to, well, no, it had nothing to do with that. Nothing. <laughs> nothing to do with that. And I remember just starting over again. And this church that I went into in San Juan was absolutely 100% upside down financially, uh, just leadership wise. It, it was I, I, when I went and, and finally, th- this is how they ended up making me the pastor. So I just start serving there and, and, and there, uh, there was, there was a coup inside. There was, there was division inside. There was this one group that really wanted to go a different direction. And then there was the pastor was kind of holding the line before he went to the mission field and saying, well, no, we're going to be at Calvary Chapel. And, and it was like, there was this battle going on. I'm coming in. Nobody knows me. They don't know what I'm about. And they, they, they look at me like, what does this kid know? You know, what does he know? And, um, so I eventually went and sat with some people at my former church, and, and the guy that was saying, hey, John, it's me, the pastor, and the guy who told me about the church and said, I just want you to know, John, this is words to me. When you come into this church, just know this, you're inheriting a church split. I'm like, well, what, what's that look like? Like, it's, it splits. Like, people split, like leave or start their own thing or try to divide. And I was just, I'd never experienced that before. It's difficult to plant a church, but it's also difficult to take over something that's already been planted and the foundation you know we're talking a lot about foundation here when the foundation when the, when the, when the boards are rotten you ever try to build on something that's rotten you got to get to the core of it you got to rip it out you got to you got to re- you got to put everything back in order because things are if you don't if you don't rebuild this foundation right here this whole thing's going to crumble it's going to fall you want to build on it try it, you're going to fall right through the floor and so we were like, I felt like in a spiritual sense, we were ripping up boards and I started finding out things. And what do you mean you guys didn't pay that? And what do you mean you didn't pay the taxes? And what do you mean that if we don't pay it, the county's going to come and take our building? Like, why didn't you tell me that before I signed on the dotted line? Sorry, that's your problem. I mean, this were things that I was walking into. I had no idea. And at that time where I was at in Southern California, Calvary Chapel didn't have a great name. I mean, people, there was a lot of things that happened right in that same interim of time that, that kind of just put a, a cloud over Calvary back in 2007. And so people were like, uh, Calvary, uh, 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 gross, uh. Like, what do you mean? 
And so I felt like we had to repair the bridge that had been broken down and it's taken 16 years. And so I started pastoring there and, and, you know, the church began to grow little by little. And, uh, you know, people started coming to church and hearing that we were teaching the word, much like Pastor Zach does and Pastor Raz has done for so many years here, just teaching the word of God and people started coming and it started growing and we just been, you know, you just been going. And so during that particular time, we had always felt like, I, li- I lived in San Clemente, but our church was in San Juan. And so I just, I, I love my community. I always wanted to, to pastor in our community. It's where I felt like God called me to begin with. And so through the years, there was a time when the, the freeways uh, in California that are, are huge uh, freeways, there was a, the exit to our church was actually shut off. It was closing down for months because they were redoing it. So everybody coming from the south to the north couldn't exit to get, it just was in, totally inconvenient. So they were shutting down this bridge and it was like, how are we going to do this? So I, well, let's, let's, let's do an, another, let's do, let's meet at the junior high school for those that live down on that side. So it was like two different campuses. Uh, and that, that was a season and I didn't like it. It didn't work well. I mean, it was okay. God did some things, but then that, then we came back under one roof and then fast forward to, um, the COVID years. Isn't it funny how people talk, well, before COVID, you know, but COVID, COVID, I hate that word, but it happened. And so in California, you know, Florida was free. We're like, wow, praise God, you guys are free. And yet some, some people out here didn't live like they were free, which is crazy. We, t- we were told we weren't free, and we, ch- we were, li- were living free. Like, I don't care what you say. Uh, that's kind of how we were in response. But anyways, during that time, we ended up, this is how God works. I'm going to get to the point here. Uh, again, this has nothing to do with what I was going to talk to you guys about, but hopefully you're encouraged, maybe. We, we, uh, we, we decided, well, let's, we didn't, nobody knew what was happening, right? So everybody like, oh, we're all going to die. Zach and I were talking about that. We're all, we all should be dead right now. Nobody should be alive right now. We should all be dead in body bags, you know, with COVID. And we survived. Wow. Because they lied uh, about everything. Uh, <laughs> right? A bunch of, bunch of liars. All liars. Liars. Fact checkers. Who checks the fact checkers? What I want to know. You ever thought about that? Well, the fact checkers. Well, who checks them? They're liars. Anyways. I don't want to digress too much. But anyways, we decided, hey, well, let's just do this thing outside. And so there was this outlet mall in San Clemente. We decided, let's, let's check it out. And uh, we ended up going to this outlet mall and, and in this parking lot. We, we still met inside Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, and every other ministry was all in the building in San Juan. But we started doing this thing on Sunday mornings in San Clemente at the outlet mall and a massive, this is the funny thing too, I want to just say how God answers prayer. For years in San Juan, San Juan is like a historical town. There's the mission that's been there. That's not going anywhere. That's staying there. Then there's a massive Catholic church right across from us. So it's like the Protestants and the Catholics fighting for parking, you know, trying to get parking in the city that's historical. And the city doesn't want to spend any money. So we're parking everywhere. We're shuttling people down the street. It was just insane. We did four services every weekend. It was, it was crazy. And the Catholics come through Mass, and we come through, and we try to time it so we can get there and protect our parking. And we never had a parking. So we always pray, Lord, give us a parking lot. Give us a parking lot. Lord, if you just give us a parking lot. God gave us a parking lot. just didn't have a building on it. It was the outlets. <laughs> uh, we got this massive parking lot. So we start meeting out there. And during that time, other churches all around us would not open. Would not open. Wouldn't even do anything outside. Wouldn't open. So what happened was people started coming from every direction and this thing in the parking lot just started, just blew up, exploded. 
and not like we were we were just doing it for our people but what happened was it just went off and there was this whole sifting that was happening in the church suddenly pastors that should be faithful and stepping forward and really you know leading were not leading one pastor said we're not opening till disneyland opens well pff, that's crazy so you, you're governed by Disney? I mean, you know how that's going. I mean, that's terrible. That's another subject. Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to talk about that. But, but anyways, and, you know, other pastors were saying the best thing that you can do, they sent out a letter to their thousands of congregants. The best thing you can do is vax and mask, vax and mask, vax and mask. And it was just, so people just, in our area, it said, no way. Like, and started coming to church. It kept growing, kept growing. Guys, two years. We were outside for two years. Outside, and the thing just kept growing, kept growing, kept growing. To where it was like, we can't go back in on a Sunday morning. We can't do six services. Like, we, that's impossible. And so we just kept meeting there. It rained two times in two years. And when it rained... It's a parking structure. We went underground. We called it underground church. We went underground and had everybody. It was, it was amazing. And what happened, what we ended up, unbeknownst to us, and I, I say this I, don't say, I say this truthfully. We, in that area, we stumbled into, by the grace of God, a revival. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making that up. I mean, just for us, it was a revival. Two years. It's like the Holy Spirit just showed up in ways that I... It was, it was real, you know, something you pray for your whole life and then it happens and you like, you don't like this wave, you're riding it. You don't want it to stop. It's just happening every week and people are getting saved. And I don't consider myself to be an evangelist. I don't think that's my strongest gift, but God is making me become this. And I mean, week after week, people getting saved to the glory of God. It's not me. I'm saying that. And, and it just like, it just kept growing, kept expanding and God's working. And, and, uh, in two years, things are just blowing up and, and we don't, we're just kind of caught in the middle of it. And what's great is every time our governor said, don't do something, the people did it. The people did it. I'll, I'll tell you, I remember it. The day the governor said, uh, you can't sing. <laughs> There's no singing in the church. Yes, there is. Like, you can't sing in the church. Oh, really? You, you need to wear a mask and hum. Like, what? <laughs> and there were churches that were literally doing that. I'm not kidding. I'm going to say it. There were Calvary chapels that had signs that said, if you're vaxxed, sit here. I mean, what are you, crazy? pretty much. They lost their minds. So when they told us don't sing, people went off. I have never heard people sing like they did when we were told you can't. <laughs> it was like, if you could hear it, you could probably hear it in Sacramento. They were just, it's just it, was, it was like that every week. And then as we continued and we got to the end of the two years, I just felt like the Holy Spirit, you know, what, during the first year, we went and looked at this building and this building was, half of it was a, was a church because there was a, a satellite campus of a famous church, uh, Saddleback, uh, that was there, and, um, and it was their satellite campus. Imagine a satellite campus of 40,000 square feet. That's just half of it. Just for people to come watch you on a screen. It's ridiculous. Anyways, it was, it was the first one they had, and it was dying. It had been 10 years, and it was basically shriveling up, in spite of the fact that no one was coming because they were told, you know, we're not opening till oh, I said it, till Disneyland. So all this is happening, and, and so the thing's drying up. 
And I'd walked the building a year before and talked to the guys and said, well, you can lease this other side of it and build it out. I was like, ah, I don't want to lease. I don't want to lease something right now. We're, we're, if we're moving, we're moving. Like, we're going to purchase it. So we go back and uh, a year later, now it's a year later, and the owner comes back to us and says, hey, are you still interested in buying this building? You want to, would like to sell it. I said, yeah, I'm interested. You know, we're interested. And uh, I don't know where we're going to get the money, but we'd like, yeah, we'd like to. Um, so we show up at this building. We walk it. It's a year later. And um, it's just, it's a long story. I don't want to, I don't want to. I just want to give glory to God as how faithful he is. We, we got to this place, this building, and, um, and, and it, took, it, it, was, it was some miraculous things that needed to happen, and, and God did it. But uh, this is what I want to share with you. When I went to the building, I remember reading through the book of Joshua. You remember when Joshua comes to the place and he comes to Jericho, and the Lord tells him, see, I have given Jericho into your hands. This is before any battle, by the way. I've given it to you already. You need to see it with eyes of faith. I've already done it. Joshua just had to believe it. And then God tells him, here's how we're going to do this. How are we going to do it? You're just going to walk around it. <laughs> like seven times. And don't say anything. Well, okay. And then, at the end of that, I want you to shout. And the walls are going to come down. That's how it's going to happen. Like, that is the, what kind of strategy is that? Like, what kind of battle plan are we talking here? I mean, the fact is, Joshua had been through the Red Sea. Joshua had seen some things. It's like, if the wall's are going to fall down, it's going to fall down. So imagine him coming back, telling all the guys, hey, listen, met with the Lord. We're going to take that city, Jericho. Whoa, what are we, going to do? Are we, doing, are we doing like uh, ladders? No. Catapults? Uh-uh. We're going to dig under? No, we're going to just walk around. We're going to take a walk. Just walk around it. <laughs> are we going to shout? No, no, we're not going to talk. No, nobody talks. We're just going to walk around with the ark. Seven days. All right, Joshua. <laughs> a little hot out here in the desert, apparently. Like, what do you mean? That's what we're going to do. Interesting, when, when the Lord showed Joshua the city, he, the Lord said, it is a strong, and the words were, fortified city. But I've given it to you. The Lord spoke that to my heart concerning the building. I've given it to him. I'm like, Lord, uh, how, we, how are we going to get in there? Like, what are we going to do? And I was strategizing. And long story short, the Lord provided, and I mean miraculously. Like, we, 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 there was some financing that we were waiting on. This guy came to us and said, he was from Texas. He said, oh, I'm going to get you boys to financing. I'm going to throw my hooks in the water, and I'll get you. Yeah, I'll get, yeah, I know some guys out there. And he was just, you know, like, I love the accent. Just get the money, bro. Like, we don't, you know, he's telling us. So we call him. We don't nothing yet, boys. It's about 80 20. We're going to get something here. You know, by 80 20. There's all these guys over here. And I'm talking to these guys over here. And then it got down to like the last month. And then the last weeks of the last month. And then it got down to the last week. You know what, boys? Came up empty. Sorry. I'm like, what, what are you kidding? Like, what kind of bait are you using on those hooks? Mm. I'm, I'm not kidding. We got down to the last week. And we had to, we had to put up. To, to get an extension waiting on this guy to get stuff done. And it's, it wasn't small. And we got down to the last week, the last day of the last week. I don't like to operate like this. I don't like it. But God puts me in these situations where it's, you, it's either going to be him or it's not going to be anybody. Either he gets the glory or nobody does. And so he puts you in this situation. It's the last day. It's a Friday. And we thought, one of my administrators said, why don't we call blah, blah, blah. All right, let's call them. No kidding. We had called them. They said, man, this looks good. We sent our numbers. But they, said, they start underwriting in the process, getting it all. And if you know about, you know, they're putting it all together. I'm like, it's happening? 
It's happening. I took our staff out to the parking lot in this whole process, and I said, just, and we stood around a circle. I said, I'm going to read something to you, read Joshua to them. And, and it says that it was a fortified city. It was shut up. It was secure because it was a fortified city. Guys, I'm not making this up. Check this out. Our church building, by the way, we did get it. We're in it now. Uh, it's, a, it's a miracle. Um, but we, there's two streets that it's on. The street that you turn down is called Alicante, and the street itself is called Batido. That's where on Batido. Calle Batido and Alicante. I looked up Alicante. Do you know Alicante means fortified city? I mean, how do you make that up? It means for, of all the streets that this building could be on, it's Alicante, fortified city. Did God really speak to me? He actually did. And I knew, all right, it's done. I don't know how it's done, but God said it's done. I just felt so confident God's going to do it. And guess what? He did. He did. He has done it. And he opened that door. And so at the end of the two years, and the end of 15 years of feeling and sensing, God said, I'm, I'm planting you in the city of San Clemente. You know how long it took me to get there? 15 years. 15 years I'm laboring in this city. And then COVID hits. And then two years later, the doors open. And now uh, we're in the community. I'm, just, I'm, I'm sharing all of this with you as a testimony to say that God is faithful and that... Um, he, he, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those who can show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal toward him. Guys, when, when it comes to being used by the Lord, when it comes to, I'm going to wrap it in here somehow, loving our wives. Listen, God's looking for the heart. He's looking on the heart of a man. Where's my heart? Is it loyal to God? Because if you're going to love that woman in the other room the way that God has called us to love our wives, it, it's got, God's got to do work in my heart. He, he's got to do work in my heart. And, and I'm going to have to take steps of faith. I'm going to have to trust God. And I don't know, what, I don't know why I shared my whole testimony. I really wasn't planning on sharing that with you guys today. Um, other than I'm, I'm glad just to, I pray that if you're in a situation where your faith is being tested and you're not sure how God's going to come through or what that looks like or is he going to do it, all I can say is just is stay close to Jesus. Stay in his word. Keep following after him. And he will um, lead you and guide you in the way that he wants you to go and, and open doors that, that no man can shut. And he'll shut the doors that no man can open. He'll make it clear. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute miracle. Uh, we've been in this place now for a year. A year and um, we've just seen God do tr- tremendous things. And uh, it's, it's been, it's, it has not been easy, but God has remained faithful. And so... Maybe that ministers to somebody. Joshua 24, verse 15, if you have your Bible. This is what I wanted to talk to you guys about. So I love Florida. I love Brandon. I didn't realize how popular it was going to be so many years later, but it is, apparently. Joshua 24, verse 15. No doubt a passage of Scripture that you are familiar with. I hope you've made it your own. (laughs) Joshua says here, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, speak to us now. We want to be able to say this, Lord, that as for us and our house and our wives and our children and our families, we're going to serve you. God, speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. At the end of Joshua's life, you guys, he's now, he's now at the end. And he makes this statement on behalf of himself and his entire family. 
the decision has been made. I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but this is what we're doing. We're going to serve the Lord. Joshua was a spiritual leader in his home. And throughout the years, when it comes to marriages that are struggling or having difficulty, one thing that comes up in the form of a complaint is the need for spiritual leadership. I mean, that's just something that seems to come up. And so let's say, for example, a wife says, well, my husband's, he's, I, he's not a spiritual leader. And my response to that, when I've, and I've heard that many times over the years, my husband's not a spiritual, my husband's not a spiritual leader. And I ask them, can you describe for me, what, what is a spiritual leader to you? And I will say that some of the sketches that are presented are like, I, I hope Jesus could fulfill that because that is like, wow, you really raised the, I mean, only Jesus could do that. You're not married to Jesus. You're married to Jesus. I mean, it's a different, totally different. Sorry. But there are these attributes and characteristics that a wife is hoping for that aren't visible in her husband. And she's perhaps seen other couples and imagined that that's probably the perfect home. And why can't we be like them? And how come you're not a spiritual leader? And, and you know, sometimes the, the, the godly leadership that she's looking for is based on comparison, not necessarily on scripture. But on other occasions, you do realize that the wife uh, wanting a spiritual leader isn't actually a follower of the leader God has given her. Ooh, this is between us, all right? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I want a spiritual leader. I'm not following you. Like, I'm trying to follow the Lord. No, you're not. No, you're not. And so she's not a follower. And she doesn't submit to her husband. And she's fearful of, of what, you know, where he might lead. That he might make a mistake. And the fact is we all do make mistakes. God is working in us as leaders. But then there are those times when you come to realize that the husband really isn't fulfilling his responsibility as a spiritual leader in his home. And the wife and children are, are suffering because of it. He's not concerned about spiritual things. He's like Esau. You know Esau? He just, man, for a bowl of beans, he'd sell his birthright. He doesn't really care about spiritual things. He doesn't really care about his birthright. He doesn't really necessarily care about the blessing. He's just not a spiritual guy. He's not seeking the Lord. Maybe he doesn't care. Now, when they first got married, oh, man, he's a Christian. And I always ask girls when they're about to get married, is he a Christian? He's, he's spiritual. Like, what? Does he, he's Catholic. Okay, is he born again? He said he'd come to church with me. When? Because I've seen you coming week after week, and you got a ring on your finger. I've never seen this guy ever. Where, is he a Christian? Why'd you say yes? What are you, crazy? Why would you marry a guy that's not pursuing Jesus? Not, if he's not leading you now, he's not going to lead you then. Then there's those guys that are kind of sneaky. Oh, I'm a Christian. Let's go. I'm a Christian. I got a Bible. I got, I got, I can pray. You know, you, you start out that way. You're spiritual, and then suddenly... You know, you, you, now you have to be dragged to church. Babe, I got NFL ticket. You know, it's Sunday. I, I, season starting. You know how this is. It's a spiritual. I, you know, I can't. Like, really, you're, you're explaining all the reasons why you can't go to church now. Now she has to beg you to go to church, prod you to pray with the kids. You know, the, all these, you got to have all these incentives to get, to get you to go. And, and the sad thing is that there are men like that. They're, they're not spiritual leaders. They're going backward instead of forward. 
And I've also observed that on those occasions when the husband, who isn't the spiritual leader, will protest, my wife's doing great. I don't know what the problem is here. My wife is doing great. The reason why she's doing great is because she surpassed you. Like she's given up on, on, she's following Jesus and taking the kids and doing everything and you're just kind of just not doing anything. There is the need for spiritual leadership. And I'd say male leadership. Male leadership. There's this, there's this whole thing floating around in the culture about toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I'm sure there's people that are toxic in their masculinity, but we don't, we're having trouble figuring out like what's a man, what's a woman. This is ridiculous. There needs to be men leading from the front, that's our job. That's our goal, regardless of what the culture does, trying to put men down, wanting men to be women. That's, that's ridiculous. It's sinful. It's, it's evil. But you observe the life of Joshua, and you find a good example to emulate and pattern to follow. And, and I want to consider just a couple things with you, and that is uh, this calling to lead. What are the marks of spiritual leadership? If, you're, if you take notes or mental notes, make, make note of this. First thing, a man who is a spiritual leader within his home this is, this, is, this is the most important. He has a relationship with God. I mean, that sounds so elementary. But if you're going to be a spiritual leader, then you have to be a spiritual follower. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me. You have to have a relationship with God. As you look at the life of Joshua, you come to realize this is a man that knew God. He, he was a man that had fellowship with God, trusted in God. This guy had been a slave in Egypt before. And the only way he survived was by trusting in God. You look at, you remember Numbers chapter 14 when Joshua and the 12 spies were sent in to check out the land, bring back word to Moses? And 10 out of the 12 said, It's awesome, it's a great place, but the people are huge and we're going to die. So I think we should just go back to Egypt. Who's with me? You know, Joshua and Caleb were like, No, 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 these people are our bread. We could take these people. God's given us the land. Don't rebel against the Lord, Joshua said. Don't fear the people of the land, he said. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. I mean, Joshua was a man that believed God and was willing to step out with God. There are other occasions in Joshua's life that you come to stand, understand that he, he knew the Lord. You remember when Moses would go into the, into the tabernacle, Joshua was there. I mean, he didn't depart from there. When Moses was on the hill, Joshua was there. I mean, the guy had a relationship with God. I remember hearing some premarital counsel from an assistant pastor at our church. He was a little guy. He's probably, I mean, just a, shorter than me so he was little uh and he was a marine sergeant and he was our assistant pastor his name was romaine and romaine is just as he had forearms that were like popeye he was just and he just he was a marine drill sergeant and when if you went to him for counseling it was quick it was decisive it was (laughs) there was nothing to say to the woman just the man just look at the guy and say hey listen are you reading your bible are you reading your bible to your wife uh i Come back and talk to me when you do that. It's like, okay. Like, he just, you know, he just, just shut you down. But he said the best thing you can do for your wife is be a Christian man first. That's the best thing you can do for your wife. Just be a Christian man in love with Jesus because if you're in love with Jesus, you're going to be able to love her. Are, are you, is that, does that describe you? Is Jesus a part of your life or is he your life? There was a time when Jesus was just a part of my life. Just sprinkle Jesus on everything, make everything good, little Jesus dust, and uh, we're good. My life, sprinkle him on my golf game, sprinkle him on my this, sprinkle him on my business. Yeah, Jesus revolves around me. You're messed up. That's not right. It's supposed to be you revolved around him. And so this guy, Joshua, had a relationship with God. It was the passion of his life. You know, when a, when a couple comes in for post-traumatic marital counseling, 
one of the first questions that I'll ask when they come into my office, I'll say, hey, let me, hey, tell me about your devotional life. What's it like? Tell me about your time spent with the Lord personally, devotionally. And if a guy says, and I can tell, it's just, it's quick. It's, it's you know, I, uh, I love your sermons. Really love your sermons. I, that wasn't the question, but thank you. And no, I, I'm asking you, how's your devotional life? Do you spend time with Jesus daily, personally? Do you wake up, grab your Bible, and sit before the Lord? Are you a man of the word? Are you a man of God? And if a guy says, I, you know, I don't really, I, I haven't really done that in a while, but I'd like to, I'm going to, you know, you realize this, this is the place to start because it, it's a direct, the devotional life with Jesus has a direct impact on my marital relationship with my wife. Are you one of those men that knows about Jesus or are you, are you close enough to really know him? Are you growing in your relationship with him? There's no way to be an effective leader in our house without being men of the word. It, it's really, it's a fool's errand to try. You can read books on marriage. You, you can go to, you know, a cruise for married couples. Come to a conference like this. You can, you know, all these supplemental things. But we need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus if we're truly going to lead. Because I don't know what I'm doing unless I'm following the one who is the way the truth, and the life. That's the only way I know where, where to go and where to navigate. Early on in my walk with the Lord, um, the, the verse that God gave me that has become a life verse, and maybe you have a life verse. Maybe this one could be yours, but it's, it's Matthew chapter 6, 33, where the Lord says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. All of what things? Hey, your marriage, with your kids, with your job. Seek me first, not second, not when it's convenient, not when you're in trouble, but seek me. First, and, and all these other things I'll take care of. Growing more in love with Jesus, I'll be growing more in love with my wife. Joshua was a man who had a relationship with God. The second thing I, I see in his leadership, not only that a relationship with God, but he was a servant leader. He was a servant leader. As you study Joshua's life in Exodus, going to Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, you see that Joshua was a faithful servant. Exodus 24, 13, it says that Moses arose with his assistant, his servant, Joshua. It says in Exodus 33, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp, but his servant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, didn't depart from the tabernacle. Joshua was Moses' servant, faithfully assisted Moses, helped him in any way that he could. He served the nation. He took them into the promised land. Jesus said the great, Jesus was the greatest leader of all time. Jesus said the greatest in my kingdom is the servant of all. Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he said, I've given you an example that you should do likewise. I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He was a servant leader. And this is the example for us, man. We need to have a relationship with God. But if we're going to be effective in our home and leading our wife, we need, to, we need to serve them. We need to be servants. Of course, the motivation for service is love for the Lord. You know, when I was a janitor at Calvary, Costa Mesa, I remember when I would go into the janitorial closet, we had a, a sign on the door. I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because it reminded me of things. And, and this was the sign. It read, you will know you're a servant by the way you act when you are treated like one. I, every day, you just go through, you know, hit that on the way out, you know. <laughs> you know. Uh, John, yeah, what is it? Uh, we got a, up in the classroom. Kid just threw up. Can you come on up here and, va- yeah, you make your way up there. and You'll know, you'll know you're a servant by the way you act when you're treated like one. And Jesus was that servant. 
how important it is to be servant leaders. How do you, how do you serve your wife at home? How, how do you serve her? Are you serving her? Are there ways that she would appreciate you serving? Are there things, guaranteed, there's gonna be things that you wouldn't naturally want to do. We talked about it last session, but, but being a servant, that's where Jesus is, man. That, that's where he's at. He's a servant. And there's, there is a blessing about, about being a servant you, that you get to see things maybe that others don't see. Remember when Jesus was at that wedding feast and, and they ran out of wine and he told the servants, go and, go and fill these water pots with water. And, and it says that they filled them with water. And then he said, now draw from these and take them out to the master of the feast. I mean, that was a step of faith because instantly it was, it was transformed. I mean, there's a process in making this, but it just was instant. It was a miracle. And they took it out and they gave it to the master. And he said, this is the, you, you, let, you saved the best for last. And it says that the people that knew were the servants. Man, when you're serving, you get to see things. God shows you things. You get to experience things because that's where Jesus is at, guys. And if, if, you, if you haven't been a servant, it doesn't come not, hey, ask the Lord, make me a servant. And start to serve your wife. Then it also says, um, we find that Joshua, uh, he was a servant leader. He was a good man. He was a good reputation. He was devoted. But I think something else that stands out as I look at Joshua's life, and this is important, he was a disciplined man, a personal discipline. In the book of Joshua, it says at least four times that Joshua rose early in the morning. Oh, man, I knew something was going to, ah, you know, I didn't want to talk about that. You know, but this discipline, sometimes we think of discipline in a negative context. You're going to be, I'm going to discipline you. Oh, like that's a bad thing. But when you live a disciplined life, there's real freedom in that. There's real joy in that. There's, there's real, um, again, I think just a freedom of living a, a disciplined life. It says in Joshua 3.1, Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed. Joshua 6.12, Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Joshua chapter 7.16, Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. Uh, Joshua 8.10, Joshua rose up early in the morning. He mustered the people, went up. I mean, there's just this, this, characteristic of Joshua's life where he was disciplined. There was, can I say to you, there was consistency in his leadership, which is a sign of discipline, integrity that marked his life. And I believe as spiritual leaders, we have to develop certain disciplines within our lives in order to be truly effective. That, that there must be a consistency. It's not, it's not a, a religious obligation. I have to be disciplined or I'm not going to be. No, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be disciplined. And our wives and our children are far more inclined to follow our lead if they know we are consistent. I, I know about you. You're disciplined. You know, remember raising kids and, um, you know, our kids, three of our, our children, three of our boys, our oldest boys are married now. Um, our daughter, not yet married. Um, just holding out for the rapture uh, on that. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you got one baby girl. It's like, let's not mess this up, you know. But, but, um, <clears throat> You know, one of our boys, uh, you know, this guy growing up with this kid, maybe you have one like this. They're usually around the middle. Uh, they, they it just, everything you just were like, ah. Oh. And I remember there came a time when he was, he was entering into high school. And it was at that time when, when uh, W, Bush W was running and uh, George. And, um, and they used to say, four more years, four more. And I used to say to my son, four more years. Four more years. Because he would push me and, you know, and, and, just, and I would just, and I realized later on he's a lot like his 
Oh man, but that's that's another that's between us also. But we we would we would just like this guy, man, he would push me and push me. I'd just be like, oh Lord, you have got to. And and um, you know what's crazy about this one? I call him the dark horse now. He's the dark horse. He's he is out of all my, I would never have thought this. The most disciplined, the most regimented, the most structured, like Wow. He, he works in a hospital. He's going to nursing school, but he works in a hospital right now, and he works in a stroke unit. I mean, it is like the, he tell, I was like, don't tell me that story. I can't. We're about to eat, man. I can't. Don't tell me what happened. Like, he, the stuff he has to do, I'm like, my son does that? How in the world could he do that? I could never do that. He's surprised. But there's something about disciplined life, modeling that for your kids. See, you think, you know, you're sewing into them. They're never going to get it. And I try to tell this kid, just clean your room, please. Once. Your mother stopped crying. Just come on, man. And now it's just like, it's night and day. You're sowing, you're sowing, you're sowing, you're modeling it. You think, what is the, listen, th- those who sow in tears will surely reap in joy, the Bible says. You just keep going. But just seeing that disciplined life. You know, if you think about Joshua being disciplined, compare that to a man like Lot. I mean, you talk about no discipline, living in Sodom, working in Sodom. I mean, just a, just a miserable guy. No discipline, lost his testimony amongst his family. Guys, this is something I've realized. We can't expect our kids or our grandkids to walk with Jesus if we don't. You can't expect the kids or your grandkids to respect their mother or grandmother if we don't. We can't expect them to read their Bibles if we don't. can't expect them to show up at church if we don't. They're going to do what we do. They're going to follow our example. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my lead. Do what I do if I'm following Jesus. What is, what's the track record of our leadership? It was interesting, and this is very personal, but I'll share it with you. I, I unexpectedly, we, my birthday happened a week ago, and uh, I turned 51, and we went out with all the kids, all, all of our children, uh, their wives, our grandson, Everybody, we were all together under one roof, and we just had a couple of days together. Really special. I mean, I, best birthday ever. I mean, I turned 50, and my wife threw the surprise birthday, and there was like 500 people there, which was super awkward. I mean, it was all right, but I was like, imagine 500 people at your birthday. You're like, hey. You know, and, you're, and, and it was sweet. It was really sweet. But this was even better. Just your kids. You know, we're all sitting around, and, and so, uh, you know, it was a little, it, it was a, there was a moment there where we're sitting around at night, and, and the dark horse of all people says, hey, why don't, we, why don't we say things we like about dad? I'm like, oh, yeah, don't, don't do that. I, I let's just, like, and he got real serious. Like, let's talk about our dad. Guys, I thought it was my funeral. I mean, it was like, <laughs> man, write this down. Make sure when I'm gone you guys say this, all right? But, you know, sometimes we don't say those things until they're gone. We forget, you know, you hear all these wonderful things the kids say about their parents that they never said when they were alive, but it felt like that. I tell you, I, I was... I mean, secretly, I was just so blessed and broken. And, and just, I, 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 told, I told my wife, I said, listen, what, I don't, the church, what God's, awesome, great. This, this is the best thing ever. 
because it's like you've been you've been laboring, you've been sowing, and you wonder, will I ever see fruit in these kids' lives? You know, and and sometimes they went off track, and you, and you prayed, and you wept before God, and you you pleaded, oh God, bring them back, and then to watch and see the decisions they make, and how they and they love each other, and 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 they actually like me, like oh, you know, they're not all in therapy, like they actually, you know, and they're and they're pastors kids wow amazing that's a miracle because a lot of pastors kids they get wrecked by people in the church (laughs) surprisingly be nice to pastors kids man love them they're a lot like your kids you know they need jesus and just to see it, it was just so sweet. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't, because I, you know, as a dad, sometimes you just feel like I fail. I fail so many times. I feel like, I, I remember when I blew up. Or I remember when I got angry. I remember when I did that. And, and it's like, they're so gracious. And dad, I really love, like, really? Wow, thank you. I mean, I, it, was, it was the, it was the best thing ever. Nothing could compare to that. But if you've been inconsistent, if you've been lagging in your leadership, guys, it's not too late to turn things around. The Lord can help you to be disciplined, to, to, to overcome areas of personal weakness. I also think, and we talked about it last service, but I'll just, I'll just cover it briefly, is, is Joshua had a real humility before God. He was humble before God. The Bible says before honor comes humility. And, and Joshua was humble. And again, the reason why it's so important to be humble is because pride is something that God is, is opposed to. God hates it. <laughs> He says he hates pride. And as men, we have the tendency to be proud, to quickly allow pride to get in the way, and it hinders everything. A great way to remain humble is to stay in close fellowship with Jesus. I also find that spiritual leadership in the home, not only is there humility before God, but there's obedience to the will of God. I'm going to do what God says, even if that's not popular with everybody. And there's been moments, no doubt, men, in your life, I know in my life, when I, I have had... When my wife and I, and most of the time, we, we are in agreement. We work through things. We talk through things. If we're going to make some decision, we, we want to be on the same page. And so we work towards that. We pray through that. But there have been moments where God had asked us to do something, and I had to, like, put the foot down and say, we're doing this. And, and, this, and, and I wasn't in the flesh. I was in the spirit when I did it. So most of the when I put my foot down, I'm in the flesh. Like, it's totally different. Totally different. But I, just, I had to say, no, this is, this is, as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. And, and this is the way I'm leading. And I love you guys, and I'm doing what I think is best for this family. And, and you know, it, but there's, there's a humility, but there's also an obedience to the will of God. Walking in obedience to God's word and, 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 and living according to his will, as opposed to, guys, living in hypocrisy. Such a dangerous thing. And I want to just say to you dads, if you have kids in the home, We've all played the hypocrite before, but we're the gatekeepers in our home. What comes into our home, it goes through us. It goes through us. And there's so many more challenges today as a parent because of all the things the kids have access to in the device. I mean, you know, it's, it's unbelievable what they have access to. I mean, back in the day, you'd have to go to some behind the whatever to find somebody who had a magazine. These kids can, it's, it's, it's kindergartners can be there in a second and never unsee those images. We have to lead by example. And, and hold our kids accountable, and you, you do the best you can. And, and there's a huge, um, and I see this a lot, uh, and I've talked to and counseled a lot of guys through it, and we have some men that meet in a group and, uh, and keep each other accountable. In the area of pornography, I mean, there's just, there's a, there's a, it's an epidemic. And not just out there, in the church. 
guys are caught up, man, and just and their wives don't know it, and they're 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 miserable, and um, and it's affecting their relationship, and and they wonder why, why the wife's like, what's the deal? He's just acting weird because because his mind is being warped, and if you're in that, if you're caught up in that. Again, there's hope for you if you're willing to repent and turn from it and get accountability. You can be free from that. And and if you if you continue to feed that, it will it will wreck. It's like a poison that just goes through and just ruins everything and and it's like a cancer that just eats away and hinders everything and and we have to to fight against that to discipline our body. Paul said, bring it into subjection. That's when I preach to others, I myself would be disqualified. We got to set set the boundaries and and be willing to do God's will and not compromise with sin. That That's a huge thing. And the devil doesn't, here's the thing I realized in walking with the Lord for so many years now, the devil doesn't care if you're 16 or you're 60 when he ruins you. It doesn't matter. He's very patient, just waiting for the right opportunity. So if you're willing to compromise just inch by inch, you know, little by little, you start letting things go. And that's not a big deal. And, you know, I'm, I'm mature now as a Christian. I, you know, back in the day, I was so... <laughs> I was so zealous. You know, I was a little over the top, a little legalistic. No, you were wise. You were smart. And suddenly you start letting those things back in. You start picking that back up. You start drinking and you start doing this. And it's, hey, listen, Jesus turned water into wine. You know, and you start justifying all these things and, and, and trying to come up with reasons to, you, 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 be careful of that. Be careful of that. Your wife's watching you. Your kids are watching you. And I always felt like in our house, and again, not just because I'm a pastor, but because alcohol was, it was just the old life to me. Everything associated with it was old days. So for me and my house, we determined that's just not going to be a part of our story. If my kids get into it, it's not going to be because we introduced them to it. They're going to have to look for it because it's not going to be here. They're not going to have to move the wine bottle away to get to the milk every morning. And, you know, they're not going to, it's not going to be like that. I'm not going to let that happen. I don't want that to happen. And by the grace of God, we, you know, that's never been a part of our life. And other things that, that we can easily just let in and, and compromise is so subtle. You remember when Joshua found that there was sin in the camp? Achan. You remember Achan? Oh, what a name. Achan. Hid that gold wedge, coveted it, took it, hidden in it, hid it in his tent. And, and then when they went to their next battle, you remember? They went to fight AI and they went. And they got whooped. They got defeated. Joshua comes back, falls on his face, says, Lord, what happened? Lord said, there's sin in the camp. And so suddenly the Lord begins to narrow it down. By the way, if you're hiding things, God has ways of bringing it to the surface. He just does. He just does. It only lasts a while before it's exposed. So they go through and they narrow it down to Achan. And Joshua says, hey, what have you done? He said, I saw the wedge of gold. I coveted it. I took it. I hid it. There it is in my tent. And a Babylonian garment. like A garment and a wedge of gold. First of all, when are you going to wear that shirt? I mean, like, where'd you get that? Oh, this whole thing? You know, I got it at... Jericho, where we weren't supposed to take stuff. Like, you're never going to wear it. The wedge of gold, what are you going to do with that? You're going you're gonna, to, what are you going to pay for something? Like, everybody, where'd you get that wedge of gold? Nobody has gold like that. I took it. Yeah, of course. So he's hiding it. And the whole family knows about it. The whole family was impacted by Achan's sin, and the whole family was burned because of the sin in the tent. Hidden. Nobody saw it, but God saw it anything hidden in the tent guys listen take it out of the tent man time to bring it to the surface time to let your wife know i want to say this to you listen carefully we're almost through i promise because we're getting hungry but the um at times in counseling men uh they'll tell their wives what they think their wives can handle tell them to a certain point see her reaction and if she loses it or gets upset, they're like, okay, 
that's it. I can't tell her anymore. But I did tell her that. So we're good. Actually, you're not. You haven't told her everything. You haven't told her the truth. You told her a little bit what, what you think she can handle. Or what she doesn't know can't hurt her. Oh, no, it can. It can. It can hurt her. And there's this fear, something going on. You don't want to say it. So you tell her a little bit. I, to, I, I told I did confess. I did. I did. Did you? Because pretty much there's like all this and you told her that. And you're afraid. But you'll never go forward in your marriage if you don't let her know. If you don't confess it. If you don't tell her. And you keep it hidden. And you're playing games and you're, you know, deleting this and, and you don't want to, you know, you're just kind of always looking over your shoulder. It's such a terrible place to be, you know, it's such a miserable thing. And, and if you want to be free, you, you need to, you need to come clean. You need to let her know. And, and so they'll tell her what they think she can, what she can handle. And then they don't tell her the rest of it. And then they just go on. Or maybe, hey, I went to the marriage retreat. I went to a retreat and somehow this covers everything that happened. I didn't, you know, and from here on out, I'm not going to do that ever again. So I went to the retreat. We're golden. We're good. She, need, she needs to know. Might have to have a tough conversation. Maybe not today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe after the retreat. And trust the Lord. Maybe meet with some pastoral counseling. Whatever it is, work through those things. If you really want to go forward, it's possible, but you have to be honest. For, for there to be a relationship, I mean, that, that God can bless, it's got, there's got to be transparency. There's got to be honesty. If there isn't, it's really hard to build anything lasting. And so don't let that hang over your head. Anything on the, on the computer, anything in the cupboard, anything on the phone, anything. Well, I just, I'm saving it. If I have a bad day, I can smoke it. No, no. Well, it's legal in California. Get rid of it. Flush it. Well, maybe I could sell it and give money to the Lord. No, no. <laughs> Don't do that. I've, listen, I've heard it all. It's amazing what people will say to you. You know, you're like, no, bro, no. That's not, just get rid of it. Finally, I see that Joshua was faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful. That's not always easy to, to do, to be faithful. In little things, in big things, in all things, just, just remaining faithful. You know, the Bible says in Luke 16, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. The, the, the real success, really, for Joshua, guys, if you look at, if you kind of just sum up his entire life, how he was able to say in chapter 24, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, I think goes back to Joshua chapter 1, where it said, where the Lord said to him, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I won't leave you, forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. You shall divide uh, as an inheritance to this land, which I swore their fathers, but be strong and be courageous. And he says, and then he said this, observe to do according to all the law which my servant Moses commanded you, and don't turn to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law, he said, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. The word of God, the law of the Lord, was the key to Joshua's success and kept him from chapter one to the end of his life in 24. And he could still say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so guys, if I can encourage you in that way, in the spiritual leadership, let's, let's ask the Lord, let's ask the Lord to make us spiritual leaders. If we're not uh, help us, God, we need you. Let's, let's pray for that today as we conclude. Heavenly father, we do thank you that 
Lord, you haven't left us orphans. You haven't left us without instruction. You haven't left us without wisdom and principles and guidance. Lord, you've given us your word, which has your promises. You've given us your spirit, which provides the power. Lord, you've given us brothers in Christ that help us stay accountable. And Lord, I pray for us as men today. Lord, you, you know our weaknesses. You know where we fall short. You know where we mess up. You know, Lord, that we need you. And so we come to you humbly, dependent, and broken and just say, God, please make us the men that you've called us to be. Thank you that, Lord, you see in us what we don't often see in ourselves. You said to Gideon, who is hiding, you're a mighty man of valor. Lord, you said to Peter, who was shifting sand, I'm going to make you a rock. You said to Saul of Tarsus, I'm going to make you Paul. Lord, just do that work in us. You said to Jacob, I'm going to make you Israel. Lord, change us. We're open to it, Lord. Help us. Lord, if, if there are areas that need to be spoken of to our wives or confessed truth, I pray that, that, Lord, you would give men courage here today to take a difficult step to be right with you and no longer live in shadows. Help us to be transparent and honest, to serve and love these women that you've given to us as a gift. Your, your, your women, Lord, your girls, I pray that we would love them. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen.